Welcome to the Insurance Post podcast. I'm Emran Hughes, editor of Insurance Post, and today I'm joined by Sedgwick's Nicola Dryden, Domestic and General's Seb Chakraborty, Instanders Tim Hardcastle, and Genesis's Andre Symes to talk about how technology can be used to improve insurance policyholders' experience of engaging with the industry. Today on the Insurance Post podcast, we're excited to have with us Nicola Dryden, Chief Client Officer of Sedgwick, Seb Chakraborty, Product and Chief Technology Officer at Domestic and General, Tim Hardcastle, CEO of Instanda, and Andre Symes, co-CEO of Genesis. They're going to share with us their views on how technology can be used to improve the insurance customer's experience. Hello, Nicola, Seb, Tim and Andre. Welcome to the Insurance Post podcast. Hello. Thank you. Hello. Hi, Emma. So, according to Salesforce research, 66% of consumers expect companies to understand their unique needs and expectations, as well as deliver seamless, personalised online experiences. Tim, do you think the insurance industry is achieving that today? Personalisation, I think, is something that everybody in any uh, consumer experience wants, and we see it all over in terms of content that you curated and fed, whether it's from Netflix whether it's your personalised payment gateway, whether it's Apple Pay. So it's no, it's no surprise that insurance consumers would expect to get a personalised, specific, tailored experience with insurance. I think the challenge for the industry is they personalise today uh, in a way that perhaps would be argued by some of the other e-commerce uh, operators as antiquated. I mean, we, we face a bunch of questions to capture risk data. Uh, it happens once a year. And it's very difficult to personalise offerings on that basis alone because it's a one-time capture. So I think some of the more interesting insurance innovations are around, for example, in health, where there's devices that you wear, uh, they're monitoring your um, behaviour all day, and they're giving you feedback and advice on how to be a better, healthier person. And that is good for your morbidity. So I think there are lots of examples where insurers are doing more, uh, but I'll be interested to hear from the panel on on their perspective too. Seb, would you agree that there's personalisation, but perhaps not in the way a typical Netflix subscriber would be wanting to see it from insurance? I I do. And, uh, you know, I think not to be too much of a downer on the the insurance, because I think there's a lot of good uh, personalisation going on, uh, as Tim just mentioned. Uh, In terms of domestic in general, personalisation... Is, uh, is something that we strive for in terms of understanding um, the appliance. So basically, just to give you two minutes on uh, domestic in general, we are, uh, we are, we are there to, to try and protect all your household appliances. So therefore, the more we can know about an appliance, the more we can tailor a price. Uh, and so um, uh, personalisation for us is understanding as much as we can about uh, those household appliances. So I suppose personalisation about not just saying you've got a smartphone, but which smartphone that you own. Indeed. Indeed. Um, Andre, would you agree that there's more to do on personalisation? Um, absolutely, there's more to do. The question, though, is that would you ever be able to fulfil the consumer's expectation, which is ever-changing? As Tim alluded to, you know, all consumers today are interfacing with trillion-dollar big tech companies that have the mechanism and the technologies to tailor things at a real-time level. Even interfaces these days are being adapted via neural neural net machine learnings to give you the UI that you want, that we know of. We can see the curated information on Facebook as an example as part of that. There's no way that insurance can keep up with that kind of personalization requests. Um, And we do see some insurance companies trying to do that, 
You know, some have thousands of iterations of the same product trying to personalize this for various segments of the market, but that's not sustainable. Nicola, where would you agree? Where do you see the insurance industry today on personalization? I think personalization is really important, and from a Sedgwick point of view, our strategy is all about making claims easier for everyone. And personalization might be a digital journey, but if someone's got water pouring down through their ceiling, they may want to speak to someone. So there is an element of, yes, there's a digital journey for those who want to go down that route, but equally it's all about understanding your customers and giving them the choice about how they want to conduct business with us. Mm -hmm. Mm, Indeed. I mean, so uh, as you've kind of touched on there, so... Andre, how should insurers today be using technology to optimise performance and scalability to meet both the immediate and future needs of consumers? I think it segues nicely from from Nicola's answer there is that technology can allow customers or product providers to offer their customers omni-channel engagement points. You know, we have a saying um, at a different InsurTech conference that I was speaking at about a year ago where it's technology when you want it, human when you need it. Um, and everybody's been trying to drive the human element down because the cost to serve is a little bit higher on that. But again, you can use technologies augmenting those people's uh, ability to assess risk to help their customers with data, and you can drive down that cost to serve. So you know, technology can be used to cost-effectively ob- offer consumers the choice between digital or human interaction. Tim, would you agree in terms of that balance? I think the um, the opportunity for the industry is. Uh, I think as Nicola was touching on is is to be doing better contextually and what I mean by that is depending on the situation that the um, consumer or the business that they're, they're looking after uh, finds itself in then I think there is a, a rich interplay of technology and uh, non-tech if you like the call center if you use that as a non-tech example but it's it's the also the underpinning data so if I'm right driving around in a car and I've got a black box I don't know the technology is there what I'm interested in is the data that comes from that and getting some feedback on could I be improving my driving am I going to get a lower premium and it's the same for the health data I think the contextual part the challenge for the industry so that's the opportunity the challenge is that a lot of them have been built over a long period of time they've got embedded processes ways of working and particularly technology which is going to hold them back from being a lot more agile in those those contexts that consumers are expecting a better experience. And that's one of the key challenges. And that's that's what InStand is about. It's there to offer them a, a freedom, a path to agility that, that existing technologies don't offer that. So I think it's, but it's, it's more about the insurers understanding the context and then having the ability to be agile and respond to consumers' needs in those, in those situations. Seb, um, what's your views in terms of how insurers should be using technology to optimise their performance? Um, so I think that uh, technology companies should be really focusing on whatever their secret source is. So if you're um, an insurance company, then um, being really, really good at things like uh, underwriting and um, your customer journeys are what you really should be focusing on. Uh, focusing on technologies or or data centers or networks isn't really your secret source. So the more you can offload all of that to a, a cloud provider uh, and focus on what you think is going to be uh, good for your customers, that's that's really where I think technology should be used. Nicola, what's your views in terms of how people should be using technology to optimise performance? I think there is absolutely a need to use technology. So um, at Sedgwick, we do a lot of digital visits for simple claims. That means that we can you know, look at what's actually happened inside a consumer's home. 
we can validate the policy, we can then decide do we need to send someone out, do we need to get a, a builder to go out there, we can tell the builder what they need to take with them. So it's actually customer choice because if they're willing to have that digital visit and we can get that first look in the property, it saves a lot of time and effort because we'll go there, we'll understand looking at it virtually, we'll send the right person out with the right equipment and then, you know, that's one-time visit. But not only that, you're actually saving the environment because you're not sending people out in cars to go and look at things, realise they don't have enough stuff with them or the right equipment. So all round, it's cost-effective, it's good for the environment for certain claims, and it gives you that first port of call to be able to triage that claim and get the right outcome for the customer first time, and I think that's really important. And Nicola, have you seen that really accelerate as a result of COVID over the last few years and acceptance among both the policyholder and just the industry's use of that, really? It's been amazing because I think that um, what's happened with the pandemic, it's really, I mean, who would have thought you could go online, fill in a form, an interactive form, it can be automated and we can then check that the policy cover is there. It's a simple claim and then we can pay it within two minutes into a customer's bank account. I mean, that's the type of thing that we've been trying to do is get customers to do claims online. But with the pandemic, they were actually forced down that route. And we're lucky enough at Sedgwick to have our own claim system and to develop the technology and we invest a huge amount in it. So we were ready for that to be able to use it. So we've seen utilisation in terms of digital go up 10%. But you must also think about vulnerable customers because not everyone can go down a, a, you know, a digital route. There's 1.5 million um, people in the UK that don't have access to the internet. So we've got to make sure that we're not putting people in that situation. We still need to be there for them. If they choose to come out the journey and talk to someone, they have to have the right to do that. But it's definitely, from a claims perspective, really changed uh, the interaction and how customers notify us of a claim and then the options available to us to triage that claim. Um, I mean, one of the things that the industry is making increasing use of is external data sources. And I hate to think what data my washing machine is collecting on me, quite frankly, Seb. Um, but how can insurers integrate with external data sources and ensure rapid modification of, you know, underwriting rules and processing? What is my washing machine telling you about me, Seb? That's what I'm worried about. Well, so, so that by adding in external data sources to the data you've already got can um, help with uh, lots of different elements of the customer experience. Um, for example, if you if you do know uh, how how the occupancy levels of a property, you can establish essentially that a washing machine is being used a lot, and therefore um, start to understand more about how often it might break down, and that obviously plays into risk. But um, there are other really good examples like uh, using the uh, Office of National Statistics data to um, understand. Uh, the installation levels in properties and if you can understand that then you can also establish that uh, whether boilers are going to be used more often and uh, and therefore again once again understand whether it's going to break down so mm. I think data is incredibly important for our business uh, we probably have the largest data set of uh, understanding when uh, appliances um, and what appliances are being used and how they're being used and, um, and we've started to develop that with uh, with a sort of trying to understand what are the top 10 reasons for appliances to break down. And we're running trials on Softwix so we can remotely uh, triage and, and at times uh, help customers um, solve their problems themselves rather than having to send and ship a, an engineer to a property to try and fix it. 
for, for me, Seb, it would be my son's inability to wear anything <laughs> once without getting it muddy. Um, Tim, you know, how do you feel insurers should be integrating with external data sources to adapt their underwriting and rules and processes? Well, if you take, just zoom out for a little bit and think about the interaction points that consumers have. So there's there's a and businesses have there's a there's a purchasing in, in in the first place of the policy itself and the ambition for any consumer and businesses to make is to feel that that process is as frictionless as possible but when you get into the and and that that that's increasing i think many insurers are doing a lot to reduce the amount of actual physical risk data capture that consumers are having to give but when you get into specialty risks it's it's more complicated so there's a lot of work being done on on search engine and algorithms that can bring in data and help that first part of the the rating and underwriting assessment, because ultimately the underwriters themselves don't want to be touching risk. They want to be able to get the data around that risk and, and straight through process as far as possible. So then, you, but then you're going into the the next stage would be then when someone has a change or an adaptation on the policy. And obviously, again, you want to be bringing in data sources that allows them to do that as frictionless and seamlessly as possible. And then, as you heard very well from very eloquently from Nicola, you know the claims process is a very human emotional experience whereas what I would argue in the first two interactions it's it's more about using the data to create a frictionless experience with the claims experience someone is in trouble something has been lost some hurt has been done uh, and therefore it's a very much more human interaction and, and, and the technology and that's like Nicola has already said I think is then the data that's used to support the claim process is vital and comes from different sources but I think ultimately if you think about the, the overall insurance process um, the ambition for all insurers should be to be as frictionless, and that's why we're seeing the rise of embedded, and as retail-like and as contextually relevant for the consumer and the business as possible. Andre, how, d- how is that frictionless integration achieved? The cost of access to data has dropped drastically in the last couple of years. Um, previously, trying to connect to data sources was bespoke development, and it was often quite difficult to consume that data in a usable manner within the organizations. That has become standardized, so access to data is no longer the problem. The challenge has shifted from having access to data to actually turning that data into usable information and then applying that to the various products in an agile manner. And the technology is there. You know, you can make dynamic real-time changes to pricing of risks as that risk changes. You know, boilers go on and off. You know about this. Does the a policy price increase or decrease at that point in time? We've seen that kind of testing in the motor space already. So the t- technology is there. The challenge now is that there's so much data available that it's quite time-consuming and rather expensive to turn that into usable real information to apply to the policy information. Nicola, what's your thoughts? I think data is really important and, you know, the insurers that we work with expect to have access to the data on a number of fronts. But we have a a tool called VIA1 that allows access into our claim system so that the insurers we partner with can see exactly where that claim is in terms of the customer journey. So that's data. But data from a risk perspective is that, you know, if we've got a specific store where we're seeing a lot of claims where potentially a supermarket, someone's slipping and tripping and falling, um, and we share that data back to say in this postcode this is what's happened, then you know you could link potentially link it back to prevention. You know, are we cleaning that store enough? Are we managing that store enough? And then you can also reflect it into the pricing. So data is critical for us, but also, you know, if we are repudiating claims, why are we repudiating claims? Because that's really important from treating customers fairly. Mm. We feed that back into the insurance companies because they can look at the sales process to make sure that they're picking anything up. So it's about prevention, but it's also, you know, looking at that 
whole customer experience and making sure that the customers are getting the right outcomes for them. And, I mean, the other big conversation is often in terms of how can insurers best build in flexibility in their deployment model? You know, is the best way to be cloud-enabled or native? Tim, what's your views on that? (laughs) Well, I'm fortunate enough um, to have gone through the, uh, let's say, the analogue to digital transformation that we've seen in the last 25 years. Uh, So having been, been a CIO when... People were waxing lyrical about um, on-premise servers and storage devices, and then we've moved to the full cloud environment with, you know, the three giants of Azure, uh, AWS, and Google. There, there is no argument for any company on the planet that to try and run their own infrastructure. It doesn't make any sense. They've got no chance of competing with the um, the big providers. Um, I think there is still, um, you know, a lot of progress that we'll see and Moore's law which is the improving in compute power has still been achieved just uh, so the inexorably I think Bill, you know the points that have been made around data is becoming much more ubiquitous and it's much more accessible and it's much more low cost so is compute power and technology costs and that's I think the dilemma for many for many firms which is when they're running on older technologies that have not been designed for the cloud have not been designed to be delivered that premise then they what they won't see and having been a CIO in three different industries I'll know this very well they won't see a declining cost in their technology but in the real world all technology costs are declining and that's what every insurance company should be expecting from its technology footprint it should be expecting a declining cost relative to where they're processing um, volumes I mean that is an inexorable uh, move and anyone that tries to argue against that I think probably needs to uh, wake up and and Seb, what, what do you feel is what, <laughs> indeed? Seb, what do you feel is the best way to, in terms of a deployment model? I absolutely agree with uh, what Tim has just uh, said that it doesn't make any sense if you want to be fast and, and speed is essential in in this day and age. We know how fast technology moves. The cloud and SaaS services, um, and also being using the native cloud services, I think also gives you speed. Um, so you can replicate your data centers in a cloud by hosting the tin in, the, in a cloud environment. That's, that's not what uh, you should be doing either. And, uh, and today, you know, it really is about wiring up services, having them be plug and play, and so that you can both launch and scale new propositions, but also go to new markets uh, without having to complicate your life by worrying about the, the hardware and the, the infrastructure. Andre, what's your feelings in terms of deployment model? I, I can't add anything to what has just been said. I think they hit the nail on the head perfectly about that SaaS is the only way to go, or at least cloud is the only way to go. So potentially I could add a bit on an application level. So while you, we, we, we all agree on the infrastructure, deploying a monolithic platform on cloud just perpetuates the issue. Trying to make change to a large bit of, bit of software has lots of ramifications, and that doesn't give you the ability to test trial and fail. It's very difficult to launch new products if you have to do regression testing on 8 million policies. So you have to start thinking about how you can have multi-policy administration system ecosystems in a multi-cloud environment, and that will start giving you real agility. Nicola, would you agree? I mean, it's the scale, isn't it, at which deployment is within the insurance industry? I think it is, but you know, when I look at it from a Sedgwick point of view in claims, 
having the cloud allows us in a time of surge to call upon other territories to help us and it's all about helping customers because they can access the data so it's not like we have a ring fence system that just sits in the UK. If we have a big event in the UK we can use the technology and we can use the cloud and access the data in the US or in any of our other territories, in Ireland for example, so it just gives us much more flexibility, it's much more agile and it also allows our you know, insurer partners to actually go and look at the claims as well because they can access the system that's stored, so I would say it's absolutely flexibility and it's the way to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the moment, um, Insurance Post has been reporting a lot on tech giants such as Tesla planning to dip their toe into the UK insurance market. We've also got Amazon have already launched their insurance store. Um, Tim, what can the industry learn from these e-commerce giants? Well, I wouldn't put... I, I, I love Tesla. I think it's amazing what they've done, but I think we need a bit of perspective on it. They only sold a million cars, right, in 2022, I believe. And there already are um, much, much bigger platforms, e-commerce platforms. So I was reading, uh, just to share one, there's one in Japan, and I may get the pronunciation wrong, so apologies, Rakuten Ichibia. Uh, It's the largest active online retail marketplace in Japan. It deals with uh, tens of millions of people and consumers issuing credit cards. It does financial services from all the way from mortgages to securities brokerage. It has 800 million using its uh, travel platform. So I think what we're seeing is e-commerce marketplaces of a size and a scale that are unmatchable by single, even largest insurers that we have. And I think the opportunity for the insurance industry is to become part of those um, those online e- e-commerce retail environments and to, you know, back to some of the themes that we're picking up upon about, you know, making the experience frictionless, embedding it into some of your other purchases, because some of the insurance, most of the insurance products that people buy will be one-time um, PNC. Um, but in health, it's a different experience. Your daily, I mean, Ping Ang, for example, has 130 million customers um, using its online uh, Good Doctor platform. And it's, it's, it's leveraging part of its uh, technology ecosystem to provide a service to 130 million people. So the scale, I think, of some of these larger online retail ecosystems are huge. Uh, and the insurance opportunity is to get to be part of that. Uh, and I de- But I'm not worried personally for insurance around Tesla. And actually, I'm not... I mean, I think Amazon, you did an article on it. I think one of your colleagues did an article on it back in October um, for Amazon's entry into insurance. I'm not overly, I don't see that as much as a, a threat as something where you can have a much more integrated ecosystem as the one I just call that in um, Japan. Seb, in many ways, D&G is the original embedded insurer. Um, what, do you right. think, what do you think um, the industry could learn from Tesla and Amazon? I mean, I think there's a lot to learn from the, the companies themselves. And uh, I would be foolish to ever discount an Amazon who seem to innovate into lots of different sectors uh, but um, you know the the insurance space is a is a is a difficult space which takes an awful lot of learning uh, and uh, I don't I don't think it's a it's it's straightforward just because they're an Amazon or a Tesla so uh, I, I know again I think it's uh, it's interesting I think competition's interesting you learn a lot from big organizations trying to enter spaces and they sometimes see opportunities that you don't so we have to be ready I think as a domestic in general we want to be ready to innovate in the same way that Amazon and a Tesla might. Nicola would you agree these companies are ones to watch in terms of how they innovate in the space you already operate? I I think in terms of innovation you know Amazon is out there um, and we actually partner with Amazon um, 
globally. I think what they've managed to do is keep things simple. So they started off with a warranty product that if you bought you bought um, you know, electrical equipment, they would add that in and it would automatically be in, added into your basket. It was added into the total, you just click and buy, and that is a warranty for your product. So the biggest thing that I've learned from the likes of Amazon and Google and all the rest of them is that we need to keep it simple. We need to make it easy for the customers to buy. And if it's easy and simple, they'll buy and they'll get through that journey. And I think that's the biggest thing that I've learned is about making the customer journey simple and easy and allowing customers the choice to interact however they want to interact. Andre, would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, whilst there are still questions around about the success of the number of policies sold by the Amazon marketplace, they certainly are moving in the right direction. Um, and you know, on, on e-commerce platforms slightly smaller, we've seen a number of people from the e-commerce space try and move into the insurance space, particularly during the insurtech boom, only for them to fail. Insurance is a lot harder than it looks from the outside, and it's many lessons to learn once you once you are inside the insurance space. Um, and then you kind of have to ask the question about where does that kind of barrier to entry kind of change the appetite of these large tech firms on their ROI calls for coming into the insurance space? The the valuations and returns are much higher in tech than it is in insurance, so it might keep us off their radar for a while, but they will come sooner or later. So, Andre, would you feel the industry has nothing to fear from the likes of Google, Tesla and Amazon entering the industry? Um, um, on the contrary, I do think we have got things to fear from the large tech companies, but it's not insurance. I think what they what might happen, and again, you know, just g- jumping up a few levels uh, and looking a couple of years ahead, yeah, if you look at um, how, as an example, AI and people like Google self-drive technologies have come along, and they've run massive simulations on their self-drive um, algorithms. I think the last time I checked with someone there, it was about five billion miles with zero accidents. Now, if you have a zero accident environment, you negate the need for motor insurance. So the disruption is going to come from technologies outside of insurance rather than them coming into insurance and disrupting it. Um, Nicola, would you agree? I think it's an interesting one because I think there's things to learn from, you know, these types of companies in terms of, you know, the big players. But um, they've started off and I think it's one to watch is what I would absolutely say. Mm -hmm. Just watch how they develop. They'll start small. They'll start to expand it. They've got lots of data to be able to use. They've got the money to invest. So it's starting off slowly. I think it's one to watch would be my view. Tim, would you? I mean, Amazon has been a massive disruptor on the high street, hasn't it? Could it be a disruptor? The insurance um, industry. Well, Amazon's growth has been very strong, and but it's actually, relatively speaking, quite slow compared to. I've got some stats here. How long do you think it took Facebook to get 100 million users? I'll tell you, four years. Instagram, two years. Google, one year. Chat GPT, two months. Two months for 100 million users, right? So I, I'm I'm amazed at Amazon's business model. It's incredible. But I think some of the technology um, advances that are being made and how they will impact the industry, uh, I think it's going to... Anyone that knows precisely how that's going to play out, um, you know, they'll probably be making money elsewhere, I think, as someone said. But I think what's what's really exciting for us is I go back to basically, I mean, Nicholas, right, it, as long as you've got inherently in your organisation a level of agility and flexibility and you've got access to the data and you've got data sources that are rich whether that's unstructured semi-structured or structured then you are going to be well placed to deal with whether it's the e-commerce 
retailing systems or whether it's the rise of different technologies that will change the basis on which insurance is actually happening, you need at your core the ability to actually have agility and flex. And, and I'm afraid to say most of the many, many big players that we talk to have not got that, which is why we're here. Seb, would anything to fear from them? I don't, I don't think so. And I also think that, uh, you know, these big players are also going to be partners. Uh, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll partner with Amazon. We already do, in fact, uh, on multiple levels, as both in terms of retail um, and uh, as well as our cloud services. So um, I do think, personally, on another sort of an abstract level, Amazon are definitely... Um, ones to admire from from in lots of ways so they have a degree of customer obsession and we consider ourselves in dng to be also customer obsessed and the way in which they develop code the way they uh, form their teams where they are a product-based company 100 percent focused on the customer experience those are great things to learn from these big players because they do it right and they make it incredibly easy, don't they? I suppose, ultimately, what's everyone's top tips for developing an actively evolving transformation roadmap to capitalise on every technological opportunity that can benefit insurance cu customers? Tim, what's your top tips? Well, um, uh, I think I've already given it, actually. It's um, just to re-emphasise, re it's, it's about... Because, I mean, it's, it's an example. When we were designing Instanda, we took a look at the industry and we said, we don't know how all of the distribution models, the interactions with consumers and businesses are going to happen. So what we'll do is we'll create a technology that is inherently flexible and agile and you can make changes in seconds and minutes. And we'll genericize a lot of that so that the people that are closest to their market, their chosen distribution partner, their, whoever they're interacting with on the consumer segment can, can then adapt the technology to make it work for that use case and that environment. And that at its macro level is what the industry needs to do. It needs to be able to create at the core of their operations an ability to flex, to be agile, to respond, because we do not know, anyone, no one here or anyone else that I've talked to does not know exactly what all the future scenarios are going to be. So I think, you know, there's some principles that we've talked about here today about keeping things simple, keeping things frictionless, making the customer experience as best it can be, and then having the agility so that as the future evolves and becomes clearer, uh, you know the industry can adapt uh, um, but that's the challenge right now is they do not have the technology that allows them to do that and uh, that's the, that's the opportunity for us so what's your top tip for that transformation roadmap I, I'd say that one of my um, top tips would be to uh, be ready to pivot to be ready to throw away to try things to test and learn uh, and double down on things that really do work I also think that uh, putting in a great emphasis on being a product-led and customer experience-based organisation is absolutely key because you do want to keep trying things and the people who have the thought leadership uh, and willing to try things in, in unexpected ways, I think those are the people you want to bring into your organisation. Mm, I agree. I, I think, and kind of as Nicola touched on, I mean, with the pandemic the, the, and also in terms of the statistics that um, Tim quoted, I mean, the Everybody's on. So many people are online now and just willing to try out new systems like ChatGPT in a way that five, ten years ago perhaps they weren't. Nicola, what what are your top tips in terms of a transformation roadmap for the industry? My top tips. Um, I mean, I think Tim's nailed it in terms of what he said. But my top tips would be never stand still. It's continuous improvement. Really understand. You know, if a customer is dropping out of the journey. 
why are they dropping out? I see that as failure. If they have to call us because they haven't been able to get through that journey, that's failure. If they want to call us because they need some help, that's absolutely different. But it's really making sure that you are looking at the customer journey, you're doing all the testing, you take that on board, and then you make the improvements, and we just don't stand still. And I think it's also important to partner with organisations where we're maybe not the best at what we do. So draw upon the experience in the industry. There's a lot of fabulous organisations out there. So rather than spending lots of money trying to develop it, if someone's out there leading the way, then bring them into that customer journey. And we've done a lot of that in terms of fraud detection. So I think it's really important just to be aware of that as well. But continuous improvement, making sure that we've got the customer at the heart of what we do and just deploying these improvements all the time in a flexible way. Andre, would you agree? What's your what's your tip for a great transformation roadmap? Um, a lot of it has been been said already. Where having core technology that allows you the ability to pivot if and when events happen, like we saw with COVID, no one foreseen that foresaw that coming, and the firms that had the ability to pivot quickly uh, were the ones that survived. So uh, I can only echo what has been said by the other panelists up until now. But the one the one that I might add is to potentially stop trying to transform. I'd rather shift the thinking to a continuous evolution of the technology and your processes. Um, you know, no transformation program has ever revolutionized any insurance company in the, you know, the last couple of hundred years. But we continuously improve with technology that is flexible. As we say, try, test, throw away, try, test again. And then in that process of continuous improvement, we will slowly but surely make the, 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 the step to transformation once you take one or two steps back and look, the look at the bigger picture. And hopefully, eventually, evolve to a day where, on um, um, providers' um, balance sheets, it's not put down as a transformation cost, but a continual evolution cost. Perhaps, Andre. Um, so many fantastic points. Thank you all for joining me. Um, and uh, definitely a topic perhaps we'll have to revisit given the speed of change in a year's time. So long as you're all able to come back as humans and you've not been replaced by AI counterparts, would be fantastic. That brings us to the end of this episode of the Insurance Post podcast. I would like to thank Nicola, Seb, Andre and Tim for joining us and sharing their insight on how the insurance industry can use technology to give the likes of Amazon a run for their money. As always, also thanks to you for listening to the Insurance Post podcast. If you enjoy our show, please rate as well as review us on Apple Podcasts and make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to Insurance Post and following us on Facebook, LinkedIn and Twitter. Make sure you come back next week to reflect on what regulators have in store for insurers and brokers. Until then, this is Emran Hughes, signing off. The Insurance Post podcast is a product of InfoPro Digital.